What's up, everybody? On behalf of my co-host, Racer M and I, welcome back to Sung's Garage. This is part two of my podcast interview with Jen Yamato from the LA Times. In this episode, we talk about Han, what it's meant to Fast and Furious, what it's meant to me, and hopefully I get to hear what it means to you. So enjoy, and I'll talk to you all soon. love to hear what your perspective has been because I don't feel like and correct me if I'm wrong but I don't feel like you've actually addressed this very much never um, not just justice for Han this hashtag movement but yeah. the fan sort of reaction to your character over these many years well the, it, to be just totally transparent the reason I never like participated in the Justice for Han movement from the beginning, and I, and you know I didn't mean anything derogatory about you know thinking like you had too much time or you're like a weirdo. It was really because it's such a sensitive topic because Han and that character in the Fast and Franchise means so much to me, not just in career but in my life. Right? It's like it's changed my life. It's changed like my whole DNA and the fabric of how I exist in this world. Right? It's fulfilled all the Hollywood dreams. It's it's taught me, it's allowed me to, you know, go into those, those, those fantastical gates that I always dreamt of, of Universal Studios, all of that. But, and then when you get killed off, I mean, it's hard. You know, it's like you understand why a lot of actors on their contract, they're like, I do not die in a movie. And then to be part of something that was so important, and then also socially within the community, feeling like that character did make an impact for Asian American men. Right, um, and then not being a part of it, just being stripped, being stripped away, it's very hard. And it's not like that job or at that time, you know, um, being Han in a Fast and Furious movie all of a sudden propels me to do, you know, Oscar caliber work. I'm, you know, I, I'm not getting phone calls every day going, "Here's another job." It's just you're going back to the grinder. So that it, it fuck, it really fucks with your head, you know. So. Um, when the fans are out there talking about this Justice for Han stuff, and I would be sent all this fan fiction talking about possible spin-off storylines, I just didn't want to get my hopes up, so I would yeah. so, just like reject it, going, hey, it's, it might not happen, it's so important, and I don't want to get my hopes up, because even if I do, then after it, then what happens at, in, in terms of just my career, then maybe nothing, you just go back, go back to the auditioning thing, right? I mean. After Tokyo Drift, you would think, I thought, you know, there would be opportunities, but did you know that I, I auditioned like three years after Tokyo Drift for a commercial? Um, and the commercial was, uh, it said, Tokyo Drift-like scene from the movie Tokyo Drift. And I was sent to this audition to play basically me. And I didn't get the part. <laughs> so, then look, you go home and I remember, my wife is looking at me like, what's wrong? And I was like, I think my career is like rock bottom. I can't even get, I can't even get cast as myself, right? And so, so I, so, you know, the, the Han character and then the, the and, and it possibly, him possibly coming back was always very sensitive, right? And so then anytime people talked about it or fans talked about it or you would talk about it, um, I would just run. I would deny, I would Look, reject I it. Look, I actually, I really sympathize with that because I wouldn't know where to put that either if yeah. I were you. Um, that kind of um, hope that is external to you 
to be a part of that takes a lot of courage as well, especially when it's not like you're in charge of Universal Studios and, and making decisions like that. So I understand that, which is why it's kind of beautiful that that grew outside of you on yeah. its own. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, when, you know, Vin talks about, you know, fast, the fast franchise redefining casting and being the people's movie, the people's franchise, right? Like when Rock, Dwayne Johnson says, you know, he's the people's champion. You know, I, I borrow from that, and you know, I, and it sounds hokey, but really, you know, Han coming back is—it's the people's character. You know, it's their franchise. It's like, you know, it's—it's it's interesting because you know, being part of being part of Fast and being being Han, it's like, you know, you, the fame is interesting. It's a—it's an interesting window into fame because you realize that the people that our, that our franchise affects. And when I go into a restaurant. If I go to like a nice restaurant for a special occasion, it's not the customers or the front of a house that ever gives me any love. It's always the kitchen, right? I get invited into the kitchen and I'm taking pictures with the dishwashers and the cooks and the line cooks and the busboys and it's genuine, it's love. It's like not this Asian dude, it's not a, you know, a customer, it's, it's Han or Han or the brother. It's a guy that you know, makes them feel like you know, they're included, that there's no judgment. And I go, I can be part of that. Like, I get to embody that for that, you know, for that 10 minutes in the back of the kitchen taking pictures with my people. It's this weird, sincere love that I go, I almost don't deserve. Like, I'm almost putting on like a Mickey Mouse suit and going, yeah, I can take pictures with everyone because they all love me. But, you know, is it, am I really Han? There's aspects, but am I really that dude, right? Nah, I'm Sung, this actor, right? That plays that character, right? But I get to participate in this beloved idea, you know, so. Um, so the way that it inspired maybe those fans then in turn has inspired you in your own life. Yeah, I mean, it gives me purpose because, you know, at 47, turning 47, not having children, right? There's certain, I think, biological timelines that um, normal people hit and they, it gives you, I think, a reason to wake up. And then, you know, when you first start out as a young person, you can go, okay, if I can get this car, or I can buy this home, or I can buy this, or I can go to a vacation, or I can get in the club, or I can get this, or I can get these perks. But then, once you get that, does it really make you happy? Does it give you purpose, right? And um, to be honest with you, there was a few years where I was like, all right, I'm in these movies, I mean, people want pictures, and I made some money, but then I, I don't know why I should wake up tomorrow. I don't have kids. Life didn't present me those cards. And now I look at, you know, this opportunity to, to walk this earth, to be able to almost play like a real-life version of it and give people some positivity throughout the day. And if it's just taking a picture or just asking some simple questions, or just talking about a car, Right? Um, it's, 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 you know, giving some time of contribution. And it sounds like self-help and really hokey. And, I, and when someone talks about, they use this type of language, usually I kind of tune out. But then as I get older, I have to fight for these things. I have to find these things and put these things in my tool belt. Or, dude, I wake up and there's no wind behind my sails, right? When did this happen for you? This feeling, yeah, or the, the 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 epiphany of the of the realization to I guess yeah, like the purpose embracing that. 
I'd say in the last three years. Oh. Yeah, it was probably in the last three years. Um, yeah, it, it's, I think, I think there's a, it's a blessing and a curse, right? There's like nothing for free. And what does Han mean, right? So the word Han in Korean, I had a friend who went to Columbia and she, she, she did her graduate paper on the, the translation of Han, right? Into the English language. And, and it kind of parallels my life because um, it, it loosely translates to it, like s eternal suffering, right? Like even when there's good things happening, something someone else is suffering in your family, like a Korean. That's why we're great at soap operas and you know melodrama. We we do great you know ballad you know these K-pop like love songs and stuff, right? We're excellent because we're so melodramatic. Because everything in our life, if 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 this is if you're eating well, probably your mother didn't, or someone in your family isn't. So there's this Han. It's like ah, oh. like if you're rich, somebody else has to suffer. Right? It's yin and yang to everything, right? And, um, you know, I think you get older and you realize, you go, oh, you have certain aspirations, these certain material goals, you get it, it gives you nothing, it gives you no purpose, right? So I feel like I'm kind of struggling with my own Han every day, right? And if, as I try to figure it out, and then being able to kind of articulate and give that or to share that, it's actually therapy for myself. And people go, hey man, you're so cool, you're so laid back. And I realize that definition has changed for me. It's like, I'm not nice to be nice to you or to him or loyal to you or cool to you. It's actually for myself, right? Because I'm trying to be the best version of myself, right? And um, it goes actually back to what, you know, my friend from Hawaii was talking about, the kuleana. It's like, be responsible for yourself, right? So, um, Anyway, I went on this tangent, so... Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think that's a beautiful thought to put out into the world and, and to put energy into on a daily basis in your own life. And for me, I, you sort of mentioned something about like having a different perspective and different life stages, and like that's what my 30s were as well, is like thinking about different uh, purposes and different ways to, to contribute. And stuff like that. Um, but actually, I had a question for Razor M. Okay. Hi. What did this character mean to you as a film lover and just like a, a person in the world? What's your What's your story with that? Uh, well, I mean, there is some element of context. Like I met I met you at that Barnes and Noble near UCLA a long time ago. That's yeah. a whole nother story. Yeah. But, um, I reconnected with him, I think, during finishing the game. So I knew some, yeah, so yeah. I had that context. But I think I saw the first cut of, or like one of the cuts of Tokyo Drift. And when I saw it, I was just like, this is really like just objectively fun. And this character <laughs> is very like, you know, like there's no qualifications. It's just you're drawn to Han. Yeah. And it's one of those things where... I think I never really noticed before, but it kind of recontextualized some things growing up because I do remember that there was one point in my life where I think I did look at like TV shows and I think I actively thought consciously, I wish I was white. <laughs> and when I went back in my memory and remembered that again, I was like, wow, okay. It's like, really insidious how like those things work and it's really important to like see those things because you hear it 
but once you feel it, once you have your experience with it, I feel like it takes on a whole nother level. Yeah. I mean, was that something, when Tokyo Drift happened, right? You had worked with Justin Lin before, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And he brought you in to this. Did you have any sense that like this character might reach Asian kids out in the world or Asian American kids that never had this kind of character before? No, because you know the, the history of, of Han or my involvement in Tokyo Drift was, it was just, it, 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 it was timing and then it, most of it was just like luck, right? Because, I, so after Better Luck Tomorrow, Justin did this film called Annapolis. It was for Disney. It was his first uh, studio feature. Starring James Franco. And, and also... Tyrese Gibson. And also Better Luck Tomorrow trivia. Roger, Roger Fan, who yes. played Derek Liu in Better Luck Tomorrow, and was in Annapolis as the same character. Right? Oh. So, so if you, right? So Justin's whole inside thing was that, where did the characters go after BLT? Right? So Derek mm -hmm. went to the Annapolis. Han went to Tokyo. Right? Mm -hmm. Underground, it's like fitting. But anyway. So this is like Justin Lin's cinematic, you know? Yeah, this is like master plan, right? Yeah, so late nights at this restaurant in Wong Kok downtown, it's this like run, it's like this old Chinese restaurant. We would, he'd come up with these like, you know, master plans, right? Um, but so he, he does, he does the Disney movie Annapolis, and then he uh, is starting up with uh, Tokyo Drift. And he had some reservations because it was quintessentially like Karate Kid. The script came out that way, and he had some, you know, concerns. And he felt like, you know, does the, you know, the white kid have to get the Japanese girl just like Karate Kid? That's why uh, I think her name is Nila. Is actually cast. You know, she's Brazilian, right? So Natalie, I can't remember her name. Natalie Kelly. She's actually Brazilian, um, and so you know, Justin really fought for that, right? It's like. Why can't? Why does she have to be Asian, right? Um, and you have a really international cast. Very much, in Tokyo yeah. Drift. Yeah. So I, I think timing helped because uh, Universal wasn't really focused on the franchise. Like you know, I think after Too Fast, Too Furious, you know, interest in it was pretty. It fizzled down. So they just let Justin kind of do whatever he wanted. And then um, I remember he called. He called me and Roger, uh, and he said, "Hey." Uh, you know, I'm doing this movie, Tokyo Drift, and it takes place in Japan, and I know you guys what you think. There's all these a Asian characters, but there's really no characters that fit, fit you. Like, you can't be, I don't think you can be the bad guy because he's this Japanese heavy Yakuza guy, and, you know, there's really no characters, and there are other characters in high school, and I was like, that's cool, thanks, man. He goes, but the casting directors of this film are Finn Hiller, Sarah Finn Hiller, and they're big, gigantic casting directors, and he said, why don't you just go in and audition? for the lead of the movie. Uh, it's already cast. Lucas Black, Black already got cast. But just so you could go meet them, right? Because you've never met them. I was like, oh, that's cool. And the pressure's off because there's no role to win anyway. It's just going in there and having fun, right? So I went in and I read for the, for the Sean Boswell character, right? And then had fun and that was it. And then um, Twinkie, who's played by Bow Wow, <laughs> Lil, right. no more. Yes. Now, just Bow Wow. Yes, yes, yes. Now he's just Bow Wow. Um, so that character, Twinkie, was really tailored for uh, Jason Tobin by oh. Justin. Oh. Hmm. Right? So that's yes. the name Twinkie, right? If, 
Like, it makes no sense, like, an African-American kid's name's Twinkies, because it was actually made for Justin. I mean, for Jason Tobin. So if you look at his character in BLT, the vibe mm -hmm. of Twinkies, it's the same DNA, right? Like, hustling and young and the talky-talky guy, right? And um, this is where the education of the studio, like, casting comes in. Like, the business of it is that, you know, the studio was like, hey, we need to cover the African-American demographic. We need to bring in, like, a you know, hip-hop artist, a rapper, thus the little bow-wow conversation. And Jason Tobin's out. Which so is also a Fast and Furious franchise tradition. What is? To involve rappers. Hip -hop artists. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is great, huh. right? Which is great, right? Uh, but poor, poor, you know, sucks for Jason, right? But he was able to come. He's still in the movie as Earl, right? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, but, you know, um, uh, but uh, so he was in the film, but he didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of real estate for him. So it sucked. So basically, Bow Wow played Twinkie, right? Mm -hmm. So, so fast forward. Um, now, uh, there was this character. This, so this, I, I, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think the, the character's name was Phoenix. And there was a scene in the original script where there was an African-American guy named Phoenix in the underground and he gives Sean Boswell these keys to one of his cars. And that was kind of it. That was kind of his thing, right? So then they were like, hey, so we got, we got Bow Wow cast and then we have another African-American dude in Tokyo in the underground. It's like too much, right? So like, who could we cast? How about Latino, right? It's like, okay, does that work? And then Justin kind of threw out and, and Jeff Kirschenbaum, who actually went to school around the same time Justin was at UCLA, had a love affair with Tamalyn Tamita, who went to UCLA, right? So Jeff Kirschenbaum was the executive for Tokyo Drift, had a crush on Tamalyn Tamita, took Asian American studies at UCLA who to didn't, follow her. by the way? Who? <laughs> I did. Who, who, who did? Tamalyn Tamita? Yeah. Loved her. Love Karate her. Kid too. Yes, yes, yes. Ever since then. And so he had this, he was saying, and he grew up in uh, Southern Cali with a lot of Korean Americans. And so Justin and uh, Jeff Kirschbaum campaign was like, why can't it be Asian American? Like just the dude that speaks English that happens to be Asian. And the conversation was like, well, how can an Asian be cool without the martial arts stuff, right? <laughs> but mm. at that time, it's, we laugh, but at that time, you gotta yeah. look at it. It's like yeah, if you yeah. grew up in Middle America or in Maine and there are no Asian Americans, the only Asians you ever saw that were cool were Jet Li doing martial arts. That's the conversation you're gonna go to. You didn't, you didn't grow up with cool Asian dudes yeah. in LA, crane cats, car dudes, all of that. But Jeff did. So he was able to go, there are those type of dudes. And then uh, they were able to show him Bear Lick Tomorrow. And they go, look, Han is Asian American. This is the Asian American story, right? And then they're like, well, can he act? I already had done that tape. Right. Right. So then they showed him the, you know, the studio and the producers, the, the, Luke, the uh, Sean Boswell audition tape. So that's how I got into the movie. Han wasn't really written throughout the script. So the, the, the crew and the cast really didn't know what I was doing. And I had those chips, right? Because <laughs> trivia was that originally the thought was that Han smoked because I smoked in BLT. But it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a Fast and Furious movie. Kids will probably watch it. 
Smoking is very irresponsible. Snacking right. is totally better. fine. Better. <laughs> so I'm walking around with snacks, and I remember once Clayton Townsend, the line producer, came up to me because I had the jumbo family size snacks, like, the, like shrimp chips, like these things. Mm -hmm. And he grabs and he goes, enough of these snacks. Because <laughs> right? he didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but where I, where I got the idea was that in talking to Justin, is like, you know, in Snatch when Brad Pitt is like always snacking. Mm -hmm. And Honda had no lines in the script. Because if you really break it down, I would love to do this with you, right? Is to really break down how many words Han says in the script. He's watching a lot. Right. He's observing yeah. a lot. And what do you do and when snacking. you watch? Yes. yes. <laughs> Wait, but what were you actually eating? Because you're not eating shrimp chips. Sometimes they were shrimp chips, but there's sometimes there were the octopus yes. with the uh, the, um, the the peanut, and then. Um, I asked for uh, the, there were these Japanese like Teddy Grahams, <laughs> so I would break them up because they were dense, so I was able to kind of like do this. Did and you ever get so full, take after take on snacks? Nah, because you're not, I mean, smoking is hard to do on film, but snacking oh, is okay, because yeah. you can, look, <laughs> it, it looks like you're eating a lot, but you just do this. Okay, another question yeah. on yeah. the snack yeah. tip. Did you ever imagine that so many gifts of you eating <laughs> would be exist on the internet no i didn't even know what well first i didn't I never thought a gift would exist okay fair. Right? i don't even know what a gift fair. stands for so many pe so many eyeballs in the world have seen you snack yeah yeah yes i'm associated to snacking but it's it, but it's, it's a compliment. like you see a lot of ac different acting mm, flavors in a lot of those scenes where he doesn't have lines throughout these movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, 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 they teach you. What I love is to, to study actors that have no lines in a scene and, and see that they're still active. They're doing yeah. something. And that's what you're searching for as an actor is to find an activity, right? To be doing something instead of just standing there. And yeah, it's if you're listening, but then being able to eat, it kind of enhances, mm -hmm. right? And it's frustrating when you're in the scene and you have no lines all day. So I'm going, okay, with each bite, you know, there's... The subtext, it's like, what am I thinking? Or I'm calculating something, right? So it gave me something to do, right? And then when it all played together, I remember it was interesting because I remember when I was shooting it, I was like, I didn't know how it was going to piece together. And I didn't know that there was going to be any impact. But did you ever see that movie with Jason Scott Lee, Dragon? The oh, yes. Bruce Lee biopic? Mm -hmm. Remember that movie? Mm -hmm. Did you see that? But I don't mm -hmm. remember seeing it. You don't remember seeing it? I know the music. Yeah. Okay, but there's a scene when he does uh, Fist of Fury, right? And they're in the theater, him and his wife in Hong Kong, and the movie ends, and everyone's just really quiet. So then he whispers, he goes, I think they hated it, we better leave. And he gets up, and then in Hong Kong, the, the, the applause is just, it's, it's just delayed, right? And then a celebration, right? I remember... I was watching the film and I was like, okay, okay, that's good. And I'm, and I'm so self-conscious, I was getting sick watching myself. Like I was cold and sick and I, I went to the bathroom going, man, I'm such a horrible actor, I need to quit. And I walked out and I started noticing people staring at me. Noticing you? Yeah. 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 They came to the premiere because we had the premiere at the Universal Studios. So there's probably like a couple thousand people there. And while we were on the red carpet and when the, before the movie started, they would just walk right by me. Who's the weirdo with the long hair? Did you right? even do red carpet interviews? I did, but no one really cared. They're like, hey, who are you? Han's like, okay, whatever. Hey, where's the real star, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. And then after, <laughs> it was... <laughs> right? That was serious. 
You get no time. No, like, who are you? Who are you? Doing? <laughs> who are you? I'm hot. It's like, who is he? Okay, whatever. Ham? Ham? You do the martial arts in the movie? <laughs> you must be from Tokyo now. I'm Korean. Like, why are you in the movie? <laughs> right? But, but then after, all of a sudden, people are like, hey. Like, hey. Yeah. Right? It was, yeah. it was trippy, man. It was like trippy. Like, you're like, yeah, I'm not. There's so much attention on her. And then it was a couple of years of understanding and trying to really educate myself on why that happened and then what my responsibility is. And then, and not letting it to get to my head, not letting it f like fuck with me because it, it went from being obscure, like nobody, to almost being like, I wouldn't say even a D-lister, but like, hey, you're the guy in the movie. Like we found <laughs> So it wasn't like your Brad Pitt was like, hey, it's the Asian dude in the movie. So you, it's something, right? But you don't know what it is really, right? And then you're like, well, how does this go to the next opportunity? And then, and that's where it was, it was you know, it was, it was really like a, 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 a mind fuck because I was like, okay, how do I, I don't even know how to package that. I go, Han, if I were a white dude, that's James Dean, right? That's the next Paul Newman. That's, that's everything that's, 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 you know, that's, Everything that's masculine, right? That's cool. That's like easy to digest. But then you go, then you go African American dude. Like, yeah, man, he's suave. He has swagger. Asian dude, no kung fu, long hair, hanging out with cars. Good guy, bad guy. What is that? How do you package that, right? Are you gonna put that into, you know, like a, a romantic comedy? That character. At, At that, that time, time? No. no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, and I would walk into a room with like long hair and there'd be all these like male, like, you know, execs in there. And, and I felt like, I, well, how I felt like with the stuff I used to say about Fabio, like, I can't believe a dude walks around with that long hair at that age. That's how I felt <laughs> as long with that long hair. So it was also the hair became a curse because if I go, if I cut the hair, right, you're back to, you're back to a nobody. Wow, yeah. You're invincible. And the hair, but it traps you. You're, the, you're Han and that's it. You're not Sun King, a versatile actor that has value in Hollywood. You're just now a celebrity, kinda. Yeah, yeah. Right? But you don't, you're not an athlete. You're not really rich. Well, you're not rich at all because you're not making money yet, right? So you have nothing to offer. What do you have to offer? You're sort of famous. So you go, it, it, was, it was, you know, for a few years, the personal side of it is like understanding them how to turn it into a positive to that purpose, right? To go, all right, fuck all the negative stuff. There's a massive price that comes with this thing called fame. And most of it is bullshit because it never made me rich. Like if I was a Kardashian and all of a sudden I'm worth like a billion dollars, I can kind of go, all right, all that bullshit was sort of worth it because I live in a big house. I can buy my own island. Something came out of it. But it, all the things that you think all I wanted was his career. I was like, is there more acting opportunity? It was just brick wall, stuck. Well, it's hard enough being an actor yeah. in Hollywood, right? How old are you? 47. No, how old were you at the time of like Tokyo Drift? Uh, 36 probably. Yeah. So it's hard enough yeah. being an actor. Add to that being an Asian American actor. Yeah. And then having a recognizable role and still trying to go out. Like, were your 
what was like the industry reaction after that? After Tokyo Drift? Yeah. Zero. Because there was a, such a, a ins, subtle and like nasty prejudice against fast. It was like, yeah, it's a, it's a that's fast. Oh, yeah. You it see took face. years for it's people to like come around on it. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just fast and furious. Who watches that? Or the, you you get this, you go, oh, so you're in fast three, four, five, six. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And like, I made so much money. He's like, yeah. It's like, I don't watch those movies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I go, that's good for you. I'm like, why am I here? Right? I, go, I don't watch those. It's too loud. They're like, okay, cool, whatever. But what's beautiful is that time has, it just changes things. Like, you just keep going, man. It's a testament. You just keep one, one foot forward. Like, this car is a perfect analogy for it. Because when Mr. Katayama, who designed this car in 1970, he was an outlier because Datsuns used to just be like these four-door sedans, these mom, these soccer mom cars, these these work cars. And he was one of those a Japanese person that thought like, why can't we be Porsche? Why can't we be Jaguar? Why can't we compete with like world-class vehicles? Um, they never took them seriously. And when this car came out, the prejudice against Japanese was like intense in America. Still, it was residual. You're competing against. Porsches, Mustangs, American muscle, that American like jingoistic pride. And this thing was considered like, well, what is this Jap car, right? And now, as time has gone on, as like, you know, 46, 47 years later, this is a classic. And that's where I, 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 I you know, I, I can parallel it to Fast is that now, after it's become one of the biggest franchises in history, after it's established inclusiveness in casting, um, and it's taken time. It's taken time for Hollywood to give us that, that, that ownership of that, to go, hey, we did establish that diverse casting actually equates to huge box office, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so um, I went on a tangent. I kind of lost my train. You're saying it's like this car. Oh, yeah, like this car. Yeah, so now there's this respect for it. Um, um, so appreciation. Appreciation, right? Yeah. So they go... You're global. The world's global now. It's like you're part of this big, big franchise. Maybe we can kind of take you seriously, right? So, and then also other things have to happen. I give credit to crazy rich Asians. Like when people Asian, that's a common question. Like you think it's changed? Oh, drastically, drastically. I've been waiting for crazy rich Asians to come my whole career because we did better luck tomorrow. There's this like. In our little microcosm, there was this like excitement, right? Like, oh, we did something. We're relevant, right? But they didn't make any money. This well, even Better Luck Tomorrow had to fight, fight to be seen. Yeah. yeah, and we made money, but not real money. It's not like showbiz you money. Good indie money. Good indie, indie money. Indie. It it like, I don't know. I think back to the reaction out of Sundance, and I think it's illuminating in so many different ways. Uh, the stories that I've heard of all you guys and your your like team going out to Sundance and showing your film and then having this guy stand up in the audience in the Q and A, mm -hmm. going, "How dare you? How dare you like tell a story that that makes your people look bad?" Essentially, yeah. Uh, the fact that that was a reaction that was had in a public Q and A uh, to Better Luck Tomorrow, and then that Roger Ebert, the late film critic Roger Ebert stood up and said to that guy, shame on you for saying this. All these stories should 
should have a chance to exist. And I, I love that part of it. But I also like remember hearing from the Asian American film community and people who are around and, and really hustling at that time, um, hearing how much passion there was among the film community to support you guys. Um, and that you guys, I think, gave a lot of filmmakers to come after that a lot of hope. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, we would do these, it would, the, the timing was perfect because it was the beginning of, of Asian Americans really utilizing emails and then um, us being able to communicate with all the APA organizations throughout the universities in America. So it, it was well organized and it was like this wonderful line of communication and we got to kind of get a taste of what it felt like to be a boy band. Like, I mean, like Sundance was like, we went from being called like, you know, Chinaman and Ching Chong, right? Like, you know, it's still Utah, right? So it's Sundance, Park City might be progressive for that Would week. Would that actually happen to you yeah, in Utah? Roger and I, Roger Fan and I were standing outside of, uh, of uh, Robert Refford's restaurant. We couldn't get in. Because, in Park City. In Park City, because, um, Better Luck Tomorrow had screened after the, the, the Roger Ebert thing at the library. So that was the second or third screening. And then Robert Reffer heard about it and invited us to, or Justin, and a few of the people, the key people, to his restaurant. But the way we rolled back then is that if Justin went somewhere, everybody went. Like, <laughs> like It was like, hey, Justin, you and the cast can come, and anybody from the BLT. And it's like, oh, okay. And then like 50 people yeah. go straight to the food, <laughs> and all the food is gone, right? Like you bring the whole Asian family, right? And so he, you know, Justin knew like all of us couldn't get in, so we would just take turns. Like someone would come out and they had, you know, take out the wristband. <laughs> we would come in. And so Roger and I were standing outside, and we saw Justin talk to Robert Redford, and we were like, oh, yeah. He, our boy made it and we're standing outside and then I remember it was a red Jeep Wrangler not a Jeep it was a Jeep truck so it was like a Jeep Comanche so it's half Jeep half truck right that's why I remember this incident and this the the, the truck pulls up and these two these two dudes inside they roll down the window and they lean out and Roger's closer to them and they go hey excuse me and Roger's like yes he's like is this the Chinese film festival? Oh, da, 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 da. And they drove no. off, right? Oh and then Roger just starts to run after him, right? He's like, fuck you! And he's running, and he's running, and the, and the car's going, and I'm killing over just laughing because the audacity and the nerve of these two like redneck kids like to do that, I, I thought it was just hilarious because then Roger's reaction He's trying to be so nice, like, yeah, can I help you? Are you lost, young, young lads? And they're like, hold on, hold on, And he's, he's, he's chasing after him, and then all of a sudden the truck stops in the middle of the road. And There's not a lot of places to go. Yeah, and he's about there. like 20 yards like behind, like catching up to the truck, and he stops, and the car just is just idling. Go, 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 go. And then Roger looks back at me, and I'm like, and Roger just comes back. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> that was it. But, but that tells you, right, in this world where the celebration of this progressive movement, this film, this voice, like we, we're, we're here, right? We've arrived. And it's, it, was, it was like a, a harsh reminder of the reality. We're so happy. And then 
we're like, hey, look at our boy, we're Robert Redford. And it's, what's up, oh, no, boom, reality, it punches you in the face. Right? <laughs> it's so sad that it's, that I, it makes me laugh because the irony, the sheer irony is that it's so awful. I hate that that happened to you guys. Why? Why? I hate that that is a thing you had to experience at a moment when you should have just been able to celebrate. Mm. Also, mm. Redford should have let all of you guys in the party. I'm just saying. I, I think he would have let us. He I would. Th there was yeah. like a capacity issue because yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to Sundance, but you know, it's all about like getting in, yeah. right? So yeah. that was our first experience with that. And it's, it's rightfully, yeah, who are we? Like they can't, they can't let us in. There's like more important people. I mean, Sundance was awesome because we would take the shuttles, mm -hmm. right? And I remember the first screening for competition films, because they, they, uh, they, they accept like 16, 17 dramatic competition films, and we were one of them. And, and then you premiere, or you get to screen at the Eccles, which is like 1,500 seats. And that mm -hmm. was our premiere. And after, we went up on stage, and we were expecting like questions and enthusiasm. And it was nothing. It was like, crick, crick, just crickets. And I remember walking out, it was like, it was like going to a wedding, your wedding, and your groom or bride doesn't show up. It was that feeling. Like everybody got dressed up and you're all hands in the pocket. Like, don't you get invited to parties after a screening? Like nothing. We just went back to our cabin, they probably grilled cheese sandwiches, right? Um, but then at the, third screening, the library, with, with Roger Ebert, Elvis Mitchell, mm -hmm. and that journalist did get up. And it was like Moses parting the seas when Roger Ebert got up there. And, you know, he compared us with Native Americans who um, had to always portray like some spear, spiritual, spear-chucking medicine man. And he said that these kids have one responsibility, was to make a good movie, and that's what they did. And that you journalists are afraid that the model minority myth is broken and now every Asian kid that you see now you're going to suspect that they're actually smarter, maybe cunning, maybe calculating, maybe human, three-dimensional, right? And so it was, it was interesting because like if, if, if we didn't go through those things, like if that dude wasn't there and the dude in that, those kids outside of Robert Redford's Everything would just be easy. There's no fight. There's mm. no purpose. It has to be hard, mm. you know? We are not the majority of this country. We are not the majority voice. Um, and I'd rather be in a place where I have something to fight for, right? And, and I'm sincere about it, right? And we're doing it for the right reasons, right? Then it's worth it. Then otherwise, it's just, it's just, it's too easy. It's like eating chocolate every day. It's not good for you. That's it. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Songs Garage. I'd like to give a special thanks to our guest, Jen Yamato. You can find her on Instagram at J-E-N-Y-A-M-A-T-O. Until next time, we'll see you back at Songs Garage. It's time to give a shout out to all the people that made Songs Garage possible. we got producers Anson Ho, Sal Gatula, Gary Lee. Aaron Strong going. We got music by the one and only talented Lyrics Born. And we got food, catering, and hugs and love by Mickey M. 
All right. Thank you very much. And also, all of you guys that are listening. Till next time, peace out. <laughs>